Welcome to the Great Shift Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Wolf. Planet Earth is in the midst of a great shift in consciousness. The old systems and structures are collapsing, and every institution, organization, and structure needs to be revisioned. We're constantly bombarded with the bad news, and indeed there's plenty of it, but we must now turn our attention to the solutions and innovations that are already being developed around the world. Our new systems and structures must be based on harmony with the planet, our fellow human beings, and with every being in the universe. The Great Shift podcast interviews changemakers, innovators, and creators from all fields, science, spirituality, regenerative farming, entrepreneurship, food systems, social systems, and more. Join us as we visit with the creators of the new earth. We're excited to have you here. All right, welcome to The Great Shift. And on our show, we like to talk about the great paradigm shifts that are taking place on the planet right now. And to me, one of those major shifts needs to be emotional intelligence within the collective consciousness. And so I am really pleased today to have a friend of mine uh, who is Serena Myers. And she's a sacred soul mentor author of the book, Sacred Anger, and creator of the Lightwalkers Path podcast. Her divinely guided coaching supports recovering people pleasers, dig into how they really feel, including uncomfortable emotions like anger, guilt, and shame. This helps them to bring more of what they truly desire into their life so that they can align to living with purpose on purpose. Her new book, Sacred Anger, is available now at most major online bookstores. And welcome, Serena. I am so glad to have you here. It's such a pleasure. I'm really glad to share the space with you, Lisa. Thank you for creating it. And um, I have not gotten a chance to read your book, but I am very excited to hear about it and to hear your take on this question of emotional intelligence and the work that we have before us. It's funny um, that you mention it and the, and the shifts that are taking place right now, specifically, because when I first started to write Sacred Anger three years ago, um, I stopped partway through and I part of it felt that like the world needed almost like a prerequisite to this book. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of 2020, I started writing something completely different. And then the pandemic happened and then George Floyd happened and then everything just kind of started to escalate. And what ended up happening was the events of the world became the prerequisite. Mm. And suddenly the world was ready to talk about anger because it was experiencing it in a really, really big and collective way. And then I knew I had to haul ass and get it finished. (laughs) So here (laughs) it is now into the world. Yeah, talk about divine timing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I felt, for instance, with this podcast and with other work that I've done, it, it felt as though, you know, back in the past, I might have written it off to procrastination or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it was almost as if the world needed to catch up to what I was feeling into. Absolutely. And I think that, like, I've been ahead of the curve with things before. And it's so funny because when something, let's use air quotes here, fails, because it was ahead of its time, you don't know that at the moment. So you have all the the grief and the suffering that comes from something not being accepted or, or having the success that you anticipated because you knew, especially when it's divinely guided, that you knew that it was, like, needed in the world. And then, of course, time goes on, the world catches up, and you go, oh, okay, that's why it didn't happen then, because the world was not ready. 
And so what I've been finding with myself is needing to be a little bit more patient to align to divine timing instead of rushing something when I feel it needs to happen because it always falls flat and knowing that it is going to unfold exactly when it's supposed to. And it has helped me every single time once I've been able to surrender to it. Yeah. And our human side always wants to make things happen quickly and push, push, push. And I think that, you know, one of the lessons of 2020 and the pandemic was slowing down and allowing things to emerge in a really different way. I think that's been a huge gift of this period. I think the cool thing that happened and maybe cool is not the right word, but I feel like the structures and the systems that we were operating under, which were really toxic, were burning people out, um, were favoring the chosen few. Like it was really not a great world we were in. And because the pandemic wasn't just one city, one country experiencing it, the entire world had everything stop and shut down. I feel like all those systems fell apart. Yeah. And so now we're in the space of, okay, cool. What do we want to rebuild on the other side of it? Because some of us want to rebuild the old way and that's the chosen few because the world favored them, of course, right? right. But I feel like there's this, um, especially with the, the beauty of social media has given so many a voice that didn't have a voice before. Mm. And so now we're able to collectively like brainstorm like what it could even be. Like really the world is our oyster. We just have to choose, you know, what we want to create in this new space that's been created by everything coming down. Absolutely. And I feel as though a lot of what has come forward, you know, I felt total frustration because I was involved in politics decades ago. And I would see this inequity, I would see the injustice, I would see these things happening, but people were oblivious. Mm. And I feel as though, you know, the pandemic has taught us that we are connected, whether we like it or not, that no Mm. one is immune, that, you know, for instance, here in the United States, for a long time, we had a sense that we were invulnerable right? And Mm -hmm. that bad things happen in other countries. But now we're learning different. Mm -hmm. Um, So tell us about your book. Yeah, it's, um, it's a different, a different approach to anger. Everything that I had seen up until the point I started writing it was about like managing our anger, releasing our anger in spiritual books or texts, transmuting our anger. Mm -hmm. Um, Nothing was about let's sit down and have a conversation with it. Let's get comfortable with being uncomfortable and be in it and give it space to express itself, find ways to be with it in a way that isn't destructive so that once you are on the other side of it, once you've released it, transmuted it, whatever, you can then sit down and say, what did I learn from this? And what was it here to teach me? I really believe that it's, it's not a low vibe emotion. Um, you know, despite what some people might say, I think that it's actually a really necessary lesson for someone coming in as a human at this time, particularly at this time? Well, there are plenty of things to be angry at mm-hmm. right now. And I feel as though in particular women are taught to not express anger, right? I know that in my uh, you know, ex-marriage, anger was an emotion that was just not allowed right? Basically, my ex would shut down and literally turn away from me and give me the silent treatment if I expressed anger. And so that taught me to really tamp it down to the point where um, it would explode, right? Mm -hmm. I was known as being a person with a bad temper. But it was that continual pushing back, pushing back, and, and not being able to express it. And I think that that's true for many, many women, 
Yeah. And a lot of times it's coming from our partners. A lot of times it's coming from our childhood. And because of the systems that we've been operating in, a lot of times it's like internalized silencing that we just think that it's we're more, we're more likable, we're more accepted. Um, it's better to be quiet and to blend in than it is to actually speak up and be seen. But the thing is, is that we're, we're having this quiet, aside from the explosive part, which of course happens because we bury it, bury it, bury it until it comes out. So then we're not actually in control of that expression of it because it's it's exploding spontaneously. But aside from that, there's also this, um, this this heart craving for wanting to be heard, even when it's not about your anger, wanting to make impact, but being afraid of being seen. So we end up living these like incongruent lives with our heart wanting to show up one way, but everything telling us we need to show up in this other way. And then wondering why we're not satisfied with our life, even though we've you know met the criteria of what's considered to be success. Mm-hmm. Well, and I feel as though many people really can't even identify emotions like anger. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've known people who, whenever they feel some kind of emotion coming up, they just put it into a buckle, bucket named emotion, right? Mm-hmm. And it's something that needs to be separated and we need to overcome it, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had a client once who, um, that was back when I was a personal trainer and she was in a really unfulfilling job. And um, she had a dream of being a professional artist and she started talking about it and like, she just lit up. She was, you know, a really lovely girl and she just filled the room. And then she looked at me and she said, well, maybe I'm just being emotional. That's what my dad says. Oh, to even just to allow herself to dream. Like that's not even anything that's not, you know, nice. Dreaming is like beautiful. It is like the most innocent parts of ourselves is tapped into potential. Like it is amazing to deny yourself the ability to even just to dream. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, it really is. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of um, emotions, because we're not educated, right, in schools to identify Mm -hmm. what they are, to come up with um, constructive ways of working with these emotions to understand what's behind it. um, I think that a lot of it gets labeled as just anger, Right. When I was um, running a Montessori school, I know that a lot of the children who just were not being heard would be labeled as ADD or has anger problems or is emotionally, um, you know, incapable. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'd love to And hear- medicated as well. Absolutely. Not just the label, but medicating them instead of allowing them to just actually have emotions. Yes, exactly. And, um, you know, I was, I don't know if you know this about me, but I was prescribed Ritalin when I was eight. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm. Yeah. So they, um, what happened is I went from a small Montessori school into a big uh, public school and I was terrified Mm -hmm. and I did not understand the rules at all. I didn't understand mean girls. I didn't understand any of that. And um, so they put me on Ritalin as a means to get me to comply. I mean, I was a very quiet person, so it's it's weird that, that they would do that. Um, but you're absolutely right. And, you know, part of this great paradigm shift is accepting our humanness, right? Mm-hmm. And accepting that emotions are not just uncomfortable things that we try to push away, right? That's the old paradigm. And and I think that it, it came, you know, in part from 
the old model where men needed to tamp down their emotions because they needed to go to war. They needed to mm -hmm. kill people. They needed to do all of these things. And so expressing emotions became um, something that, that only wimps did, right? Remember right. That, that slogan of the previous presidential candidate, fuck your feelings, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that gives you a sense of all this. And, and one of the things um, that I've noticed about the fuck your feelings crowd is a real um, coldness, right? And a lack of compassion. Because mm -hmm. there's total detachment there. Because they're not allowed to feel. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's um, a lot of my work ends up being around self-love and self-acceptance. Mm -hmm. And the thing that is often missing when we hear about like bubble baths and massages and calling that self-care, for instance, is um, that we're not just about, we're not supposed to just look at the good stuff and be like, aren't I great? Because when we have that, but unconsciously or subconsciously, um, we also know all the shitty things that we've done or the shitty things that we feel that we can't even fully, we're faking our own self-acceptance basically, because we're only looking at the good. We're saying, this is really great. And aren't I wonderful and so enlightened to be able to be in this place while also harboring the secret of, and I have these shitty feelings. Mm -hmm. There is... Um, there is a, a real need for total actual acceptance where we invite all of that to the table, where we can look at every single aspect, including the things that are really uncomfortable or the things that are judgy or critical or whatever. Cause I mean, like I do this work and I'm still judgy sometimes, you know, I catch myself and I'm like, Oh, here we go. And I hold spaces that are like judgment free, but in my personal life, I still recognize it within myself that every so often it slips in, mm -hmm. but I love myself anyway, because I know that, that that's, you know, it's a human aspect. It's something that I can witness within myself. It doesn't define me. And I don't, and it's actually easier to say that because I invite it to the table. And when it comes out, I go, Ooh, I'm being really judgy right now. <laughs> Not in like a funny way, but just to be able to acknowledge that it's happening. Yeah. And I think that the part where it becomes easier too, is when we don't think about our emotions as us, but as things that we're experiencing and moving through us, there's a bit of depersonalization that happens so that we're not having to hold ourselves as, you know, either wholly or like demonic, depending on what spectrum we are in at that moment, we're able to feel the entire spectrum of emotion and know that that's actually not reflective of us as people so that we can be all of it and none of it, depending on where we are at the time. <clears throat> yeah, I feel, um, you know, one of my friends has this process of dealing with emotions. Um, it's Nora Harold, and uh, she's a spiritual teacher. And she has this little process called FOL, where she's she says, feel the emotion, observe it, mm. right? Acknowledge that you're a human having this emotion, accept that you are having this emotion, and then love yourself. Oh, I love that. That's really beautiful. It's really close to the strategy that I have um, in Sacred Anger as well, which is identifying the emotion so that you can actually even recognize that something is happening at all. Yeah. And actually acknowledging what it is that you're feeling. And it might be anger, but it might also be anger and a whole bunch of things that were less comfortable than anger was. So anger becomes the mask of that. Then it's creating the space to actually feel it. I say, give yourself the space and the grace. Mm -hmm. After you felt it and really like, immersed yourself in it for a little while and just allowed it to be, 
then get onto the releasing, which is where we always try to get to first because we don't want to spend that extra time <laughs> of like really actually being with our uncomfortable emotions. And then I feel like once we've released it, then we do the reflection. And what I found was whenever we tried to change up the order of this process, when we, when we jumped right to um, moving it, we lost the richness of the teachings that come from the experiencing of it. And yes. if we go from the experiencing of it, but we try to get the lessons and the reflection before we've gone and done the work of actually moving it, we're mm -hmm. still too in it. So we're really only getting stuff at the surface because that's what's accessible because we're still running through those emotions at the time. Mm -hmm. But once we've let it go, once we felt it and then let it go, then we can sit down and say, okay, what, what, what just happened there? <laughs> like, why did this happen? Where has this happened before? Um, you know, what, what buttons is it pushing within me? Um, mm -hmm you know, what is it showing me that I really value? What is it showing me about my boundaries? Like there's so many different layers to why anger comes up for us. Mm -hmm. But if we try to jump right into the, what did I get? And what is the sacred lesson in here? Then we, we miss out on the experience and we're not even doing it justice because we can't get there without actually really being in it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, in the last year, we've seen a lot of gurus fall right? We've mm -hmm. seen all kinds of gurus being unmasked in the kundalini community, various yoga communities, and so on. And I think that this is tied into it because we as a society want to have gurus and celebrities to look up to who are considered mm -hmm. to be perfect, mm -hmm. right? And the minute that they express their humanness, they have this fall from grace. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important for us to, to see this and acknowledge that, you know, there are no gurus because it gives us the permission to be leaders without being perfect. Yes. I think that that's a big issue with people because they think, oh, I'm too emotional, I'm too angry, I'm too this, I'm too that, to be a leader. It makes room for humanity. And yes. I mean, the thing with the, with people in that guru place, I think some of them, it's projected onto them of their, their students, their followers who are just like, wow, you are amazing, the best and all perfect and whatever. Mm -hmm. And some of them, it's also what they're projecting and really yes. like that need for the power and the, the position. Mm -hmm. um, I always feel like whenever I teach, whether it's like in coaching or in retreats or, or in whatever space I'm teaching in, I'm very much like, hey, this is what I know to be true. Mm -hmm. And I might be wrong. And I'm actually, I love the idea of like constructive discourse where we can be like, hey, what do you think about this? And go back and forth and, and have my own beliefs challenged. Because one of two things is going to happen. Either I'm going to get more clarity on what I believe and I'm going to double down on it, which is fine. Or my mind is going to change because I've been presented with new information and I'm humble enough to say like, hey, I was wrong. Who right. knew? Isn't right. that interesting? And for me, I think a big part of why I have that approach in how I teach is because I would never want anyone to put me on guru status. I would never want to be on that pedestal mm -hmm. because I'm actually pretty open with my fuck ups. I'm open with my humanity and the mistakes that I make. And I couldn't handle the pressure, to be honest. And I wouldn't <laughs> want it because the other part of that, aside from that pressure and those projections, is the deferral of those individual people's power. Because mm -hmm. when someone is like really devout to a guru, it's not even about their growth anymore. It's show me the way. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I, I, don't, I don't know the way. I know my way and I'm happy to share my way, mm -hmm. but I don't want to be responsible for every single person for their individual ways. 
Mm-hmm. Like that's, they know better. And I trust that they know better than I do mm-hmm. what they need for themselves. And we should always be the captains of our own ship. But I mean, we are also living in a capitalistic society that wants to make us believe that we don't know what we need and we don't have what it is already because somebody wants to sell us something. Um, so the more we can return to that knowing and encourage others to return to their own knowing, mm-hmm. the more we become the captains of our own ship. Absolutely. And, you know, the old model was there was somebody on top, right? There was mm-hmm. the 1% or there was the celebrity or whatever. And it was, in a way, a vertical model, right? Because it comes down and we're just mm-hmm. parroting what they're saying. And I think we're shifting into a horizontal model and a model of collaboration, right? Where we recognize that other people are human and they have their own faults, but we can learn from them. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I find that really, really exciting. I think the only thing that's tricky about it, and I see it happening too, and it is really exciting, but the people who were in that vertical model, um, some of them are pretty invested in their positions of power. Mm -hmm. So it's also going to be an invitation for them to be able to step onto the horizontal plane um, or be left behind, frankly, because right. people are coming into their own and they are waking up. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, as I always say, all of these people, all their, their money and all of their power is not more powerful than the creative, generative, uh, evolutionary process of the universe. Yes, and all of these people, you know, they think that they know exactly what's going on. But but really, the events of the last year or so has proved that that is not true, that nobody mm-hmm. really knows what's going on. And the only way forward is this collaboration. Mm-hmm. Collaboration is such a funny thing. It is so beautiful. Like, even the spaces that we've met in, so much collaboration happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is... Um, again, I come back to that word willingness. It is really a willingness to not be the one. You know what I mean? To be able mm-hmm. to say like, this is what I can bring to the table and someone else can bring something else that might be completely different, but that can we can together enrich each other's work and make something really beautiful. And to be able to be witness of that is amazing. To be able to be part of it is amazing. But I also recognize that when we have like that hierarchy, the people at the top aren't collaborating. They are pretty invested in being at the top. And this is why I say they're either going to have to get on the horizontal plane or be left behind because um, people don't want gurus anymore. They don't want to necessarily just bow down and kiss the ring. (laughs) You know what I mean? There really is this this desire to be a part of something. And when we have that kind of horizontal hierarchy, like you were talking about, or the vertical hierarchy, there there isn't there. There's a buffer between them and their people because that's mm-hmm. how the power you know, happens. Mm-hmm. But the people, especially after the pandemic, people are craving connection. They're craving community. They're craving shared intimate space. And so long as that buffer is there, those people cannot participate with their communities in the way that they need. And yes. that's why the communities are seeking out the horizontal because mm-hmm. they're looking for situations where they are not just a number, where they are a valued voice mm-hmm. and. I love it. I love witnessing it happen because there's so many people that I know who are gifted healers and gifted teachers and who know so much and they have deferred their power um, in the name of needing one more certification training, whatever, you know, for 10, 20 years. 
And the pandemic basically said, it's go time, honey. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm seeing all these voices come out and like claim the light that I've seen in them all this whole time. And now they can see it too. And I'm like, it's happening. It's disruptive and it's fucking beautiful. I love it so much. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's gorgeous. And we couldn't have done it without the internet. It's just such a beautiful convergence of all of these different factors. Mm -hmm. So um, if you could sum up what someone would do, I mean, if, if I were thinking that I had anger problems, Mm -hmm. right? And I came to you and I hadn't read your book. How would you suggest that I approach it? Right? Do you have a little formula for approaching anger? I don't have a formula, but I can tell you two things that were the start of my journey. Actually, one that was the start of my journey and one that I learned way later and I wish I'd been at the start. The one that I knew from the start um, was just to be able to observe And in particular, the things that are going on in your head. Mm -hmm. I had no idea how critical my inner world was. And I also didn't know that my inner world was not me. And when I could start to observe it, I started recognizing that I wasn't my thoughts. My thoughts were happening. And by having that distinction, I was able to start to make change because I didn't have to believe what I was thinking to be true. Mm -hmm. I started being willing to challenge that. And the thing that I wish I knew at the time of observation um, was the need for deep, deep, deep compassion for myself. Mm. Because what ended up happening, and not just at the beginning, but I would say even maybe seven, eight years in, I kept having this feeling of, oh, I should know better. And I couldn't just take the lessons as they were being given to me and as they were being revealed. There was this Mm. lesson and immediate criticism of myself for not already knowing it. So the compassion is huge because we are unlearning a lifetime of programming of what is acceptable. Yes. We, this isn't something we picked up one day and then decided to like, you know, adopt it as our truth. So and we it's are in our to, DNA. Well, that's the thing. So we're untraining all the stuff we've learned consciously in this life. And then mm-hmm. all the stuff that our ancestors have experienced mm-hmm. and all the stuff we've had happen in past lives. Mm-hmm. Like it's a lot of baggage. <laughs> And we're expecting it to be over in like, what, six months? Like, come on now. <laughs> I know that my relationship with anger is a lifelong journey. Yes. I know that it's not a destination I'm going to arrive at, that it's something that um, on some days I'm going to win and some days I'm going to be an angry asshole and I'm going to have to pick up the pieces and say I'm sorry. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. It doesn't matter how zen and spiritual you are, you're going to get angry. There are going to be bad days. It doesn't make you a bad person. Yeah. I mean, it was a little rough what, that day. And the next day, you can try to do better. You know, one thing that I have noticed personally is that when I I used to just avoid anger, right, because it would get me the silent treatment or, or whatever. And what I realized about it, though, is that when I go through that process of figuring out what I'm really feeling, Mm-hmm. And having compassion for myself, I find that the energy of anger really transmutes, right? When I do the work, I'm not talking about spiritually bypassing it. Right, right. And it becomes motivation. Yes. It's fuel. It is a, this is a, this is why when people say that it's low vibe, I'm like, have you actually been with your anger? Anger is very high vibe. It is forward moving. It is 
clarity. Like it shows you what's really important and what's burning inside of you. Like it's passion. It's, it's really, it's really, really beautiful fuel. If we allow it to be, that is the trick. Well, and you know, one of the things that I've been reflecting on is how we have been taught to stifle our feelings and to really become um, oblivious to the suffering of other people. I mean, here we are in North America living, you know, pretty decent lives here. And yet more than half the planet is hungry, right? Is going through war and so on. And I think that that part of us tamping down these emotions is, is made us not compassionate, mm-hmm. right? For in, the world's in, suffering. And in fairness to like humans um, in any kind of Western society as well, we are also seriously inundated with information all the time. Mm -hmm. So our nervous system does have to check out a little bit just to be able to be a human in the modern era. Yes. Then on top of that mental checkout, and I'm talking literally about like the nervous system and being a little bit dissociated to be able to just, you know, function in high society. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we have all of that conditioning on top of that. And there is really this removal and, you know, and, and we just accept it as true. Like, Oh, it's a dog eat dog world. And it's like, well, that's one way of doing it. It's certainly the way we've been doing it, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean it's the only way that we have to do it. Well, I, I really feel as though humans need to gain back our compassion and understand yes. that these emotions are part of the richness of being a human being. Mm-hmm. And I, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I think that's possible when we start to do that work for ourselves, because then we're able to let the guard down. When the mm-hmm. guard comes down, we're able to feel everything with more richness, including our connection to other people. But so long as that guard is up and we're shielding ourselves from the world, whether it's our own emotions or anyone else's, we can't feel things to its full extent and its full richness. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, why are we even here? Because we're not we're not fully human and we're not as as difficult as it's been over the last year, right? Just just absorbing everything that's going on. It's also given me a richness to my existence and and I feel so much more alive really mm. as a result of this. I love that. And I think a lot of people are feeling the same way. It's it, this is um I can't use the term the great awakening because it's been, you know, taken over, but it's it is the great shift in consciousness and I think that you know, it's it's funny because certain people in the spiritual community they're like, "Oh, shift in consciousness. We're going to be 5D. We're going to transcend all this." And I'm like, "No, it's sinking more fully into this experience." Mm-hmm. It's actually being human. Yeah. Um, and I think it's the work that we came here to do. It is, it's, it's almost like someone hit the giant reset button and said like, mm, this wasn't working. You guys were here to do something completely different. And now you're all staring at your phones and you're not even talking to each other over dinner. What the fuck humanity? <laughs> you know what I mean? And then this massive shakeup has happened. And I, you know, I am trivializing something that has cost you know, thousands of people their lives. And I don't, you know, I don't mean to be flip about it, right. but we as a whole needed a change. And I wish it didn't come at the cost that it came at, mm-hmm. you know, both economically and the lives that have been lost and everything else that has happened, like beautiful, you know, businesses and stuff that I have completely treasured for, you know, decades have shut down and it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And the people behind it, their livelihoods, like all of that. Yeah. But also this was so badly needed. And, mm-hmm. 
you know, I don't try to, I don't try to bypass it either. Like I can, I feel like I'm living both of like the grieving for what was in terms of the good stuff that's gone now. Mm -hmm. And also the appreciation for what is and the, and the potential that's in front of us. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm throughout this entire last period, it has been just such a deepening of humanity in general. I've seen so many people become compassionate. And I know that I've learned so much about myself and about my listening. Um, and I don't know, I guess it's it's like personal development because I remember um, I actually wrote in my journal when I was 18, is it necessary to experience the lowest depths, right? In order mm. to have these spiritual breakthroughs. And I, I still haven't, um, fully come to a conclusion on that because yeah. it, it seems as though people need um, an illness, right? Or a tragedy or, you know, hitting bottom. Mm -hmm. And I hope that that doesn't have to be the, the case in the future when we have emotional intelligence. But at the moment, that was what it took to break the matrix for so many people. Mm -hmm. And I, and if you, if we look at the people who are the most vocal about their transformations and particularly in spiritual spaces, they all have that breakdown to breakthrough. Like that is their, their journey. Mm -hmm. What I think is really cool though, is the generation that's happening right now of conscious parenting. Mm -hmm. And so now we have these kids who on a DNA level have the experience of the, those traumas and those breakdowns, mm -hmm. but also that the breakthrough is possible, particularly when that has happened before um, the mother has given birth to this child. And then they're being raised in environments that, are filled with consciousness in ways that didn't happen before. Mm. And so before I would have witnessed that happening, I probably would have agreed with your 18 year old self and been like, yeah, I think it might need, we might need to go through the shits to be able to get to the other side. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that that's true now because we have the people who've been there, done that yeah. raising kids who don't have to be there, do that and still be able to rise. Right. That's my and, hope anyway. Well, and the work that we've done on the collective all of us who have done the personal development, who have done the healing, who have done the energy work, this has helped to clear it out too. I mean, Gen mm -hmm. Z is amazing already. And just imagine what the next generation after that, they just don't have the same encumbrances that yes. we do. Yeah. It, and it's so beautiful to witness it in motion because they are a generation of action takers. Yeah. There, there is a lot of talk, but there's a lot of talk backed with action too. Mm -hmm. And, um, and they just have, the belief in what's possible. Whereas we have to like, almost like borrow belief. Like we have to act as though it's happening and then hope for the best. Whereas they're just like, well, yeah, obviously it's there. They just, they see yeah. it better than we do. And they have that clarity. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Serena, I think I could probably talk to you for a couple more hours. But... Likewise. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we can have you back on later. Um, but it's that. been a great conversation. I really, really appreciate you being here. Thank you and, for having me. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to The Great Shift. Please visit our sponsor, The Ascension Store, at theascensionstore.net. We'll see you next week for another great conversation.